This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. All right, the countdown's on. We're, first of all, the countdown for the show, because we're an hour or two of Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amadin. Kelly, hello. 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 That's Kelly McDonald in London, Ontario. Uh, mine is on February 8th, so we're almost there. Your chance to win a Temper Pro Adapt mattress is here for the complete rules and how to enter because this is a very, very nice mattress. You can visit ami.ca slash krcontest. ami.ca slash krcontest. All right. Um, as I said, I'm Ramia Umadhan in Toronto. Kelly McDonald joining us in London, Ontario, and he's got the next guest. Well, and folks, it's that time when we visit with one of our community reporters. These folks are, of course, all over Canada. Why? Well, so they can report to us on great things that are happening in their areas, things coming up in their areas. We welcome back Kim Thistle, who has news from uh, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Kim, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're coming up into heart month, hey? Is it? Oh, I'm trying to do my little heart shape. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, yes, your Valentine's, your, the, the Romance Month. Um, but, yeah. Kim, at the top of the show, well, a little later on, we were talking, Ramya brought up the cold in Toronto. Now, I know that brings extreme laughter from people oh. out in your area because we really don't it's know a true. lot about that type of cold that you get out there. But right now, we're going to discuss the 44th annual Mount Pearl Frosty Festival 2023. Just saying frosty makes me cold. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's not very cold here in St. John's and Mount Pearl now. I think it's zero degrees today. The weekend's supposed to go to minus 17, the next week plus. So we're completely all over the, the map on it. But it's the <laughs> 44th. But, so, And we don't even have much snow. Like the snow came and then it went. So any outdoor activities like snowshoeing, skiing, it's not really a good year for it. So, But fortunately, the Mount Pearl Frosty Festival, the 44th, First year, and I they send this man a booklet out. They put it in all our mailbox, and I just thought, wanted to just show our viewers, like it's a little booklet, and it folds out, and it's a huge, huge page of, like I don't know, I mean it's almost like one, two, three, four sheets of paper put together, and it highlights wow. everything that's going on. So, and it tells you like this is on forty-one years. They they've got this down to a science. They're doing very well with it. Um, it's something that my mom in Mount Pearl lived in Mount Pearl for many years. And it's, she said, when the tickets came out on June, January the 15th or the 14th, you went to the glacier and you bought your tickets. And you wanted to make sure you had wow. your tickets for the events that you, you truly wanted to go. Before I tell you some of the events, I want to tell you that I was really impressed to see in the booklet that they had accessibility concern. And if, if you see, nice. there's a number there to call. And it said, call or text Kathy on the dedicated inclusion phone line. Nice. So they have a phone number there oh. and an 800 number. So that, you know, I'm really impressed with that part of it. So for I sure. didn't- For sure, Fedora's off to those guys because that's nice yeah. thinking and, and inclusion. Exactly. Like, And that's what I mean. I find Mount Pearl is very, you know, it does work to include everybody. Some of the venues are more accessible than others, but overall the glacier, we have a lot of steps there because that's where the hockey arena is. But I always need a sighted guide going in there. And that's where that big concert, remember I have, I've often talked about like the Irish mm -hmm. descendants. Now this year is going to be 
Irish descendant, Shani Ganak and the Navigator. And that's a big event. Like, that's a great bit of, you know, a big big kitchen party at the, the, the hockey rink. <laughs> we like that. And you like it. And everything is a different price, obviously. Like, tickets for that is $50, mm-hmm. 19 plus. There's Frosty bre- Breakfast, and it's a beer tasting, $45. Frosty and Friends Breakfast, $10 for adults, $6 for kids. Now, these a seniors' 120s card game, $10. Paint and Sip by Clay Cafe, $50, 19 plus. Now, these are things that you need to have bought your tickets previously. You have, and, right. and, and, and there's still things without it, like from February 8th through the 14th. As I said, this is a whole sheet of activities. And some of the things here include, let me say, um, coloring contest, um, just who you want to be featuring to die events. They have um, free with a non-perishable food, food item. So, I mean, that's a... a, a I guess like a theatrical show. What else we have? Hmm. Frosty big birthday party. That's free. Snow snow yoga. I had attended that one year, and we did have a lot of snow. I'm thinking it's going to be mushy grass. You're going to be doing yoga. If <laughs> it, 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 it keeps going the way that it is, takes its mushy cold, cold grass. <laughs> it's cold, mushy cold grass, right? And, but I love how they have something for everybody, and yeah. it, they have a lot of corporate yes. sponsors, right? And, and, and the frosty Angel. theme. Frosty theme, and he's been around 41 years, and Mount Pearl has, you know, always had a great, you know, connection with their community and bringing people mm-hmm. together. So that's on Happy the website. Birthday. Yes. So we'll, That's going to be my favorite part of our community reports with you, Kim Thistle, because you bring up so much that is just, it's old, it's old traditions, it's been going on forever and I know during the pandemic there were a lot of like, uh, there was a lot of sourness to that um, to that degree because, you know, people had to stop doing what they were doing or postpone or you weren't sure exactly how it was going to be, but yeah, imagine how amazing it feels that you know, 41 years later, we're still doing it. And finally, out of the pandemic, we're allowed to do it again nicely, hopefully. Nice. Yeah. Yes. And the variety, looking, of course. I'm looking at your pictures, though. They are certainly not Mount Pearl pictures. <laughs> it's the pen. spirit. Oh. Of... Like outdoor skating rink. We do have one in St. John's. But uh-huh. that's... <laughs> All right. Well, it's the spirit of winter, the spirit of frosty. Yes. Hey, I got You got it. You yeah. Yes, you're right. I mean, remember how we had our music, our live music was done through um, Zoom, you know, like donations and, and you send money, but, you know, the live music, we couldn't get to the pubs and the mm-hmm. clubs. So it was done via, um, you know, you, you linked in and you watched a performer. So it's nice that yeah. we can get to live. And venues. lots are still doing that. Exactly. And, the, and it's added a different level, right? Yes, yes, yes. But it's the opportunity to get out again and, you know, interact and, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Like, I mean, that's fair, you know, yep. some people are not comfortable getting out yet, but, you know, you do what what works for you. We'll put now, it up on our blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. We'll put it up there so people have all the information about the Frosty Festival. Now, you said uh, Heart Day, <laughs> Heart Month is coming up. Yeah. I originally honestly thought you were talking about Heart and Stroke, which I think is also yeah. applicable. But let's oh, talk sure. about the Valentine's Love Affair 2023. Now, this, I couldn't get a whole lot of information, but the love here, and it's um, a $2 entry in children under 
13 are free from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Shrine Club. And that's on top of the road in St. John's. That's an accessible building. There's a ramp and there's some stairs to go in. But my understanding, 40 vendors. So I would say that would be, uh, once again, the fun things that we enjoyed. You know, your knitted mittens and caps and your dog treats and your dog bandanas and, oh, you know, jams and, and goods and wooden goods that are made. So if you enjoy getting out to flea markets, not a flea market, I should say vendors. So getting out to a craft show. This is something to do on Sunday, February the 12th. And, you know, it's always nice poking about and finding something, you know, a new taste of jam. I mean, I like trying different things. And my friend made me jam this year for Christmas, and it's Ooh. called onion, red onion jam. I haven't tried jam? it yet. Jam and not pickle? Yeah, not pickles, exactly. Wow. So I've said, you know, you go to these different venues and you're, you're, you'll come across something unique. Okay. What's your favorite jam? My favorite partridge berry and apple jam. My mom used mm. to make it. So I miss that. Oh, nice. I miss that partridge berry and apple jam. Do you yeah. make jam? That's awesome. Kim? No, I don't. You know, I, I don't seem to be able to seal the containers, but <laughs> I should, you know. That's all right. You just eat them right away. <laughs> no need to seal. <laughs> I, my, my family used to make a lot of stuff like that, jams and, like you said, the pickles and just everything, and it was amazing. The worst time of the year, the worst day of the year is when we finished the last of it, oh, and that know. was awful. I know. Oh, it's um, like, you know, you save and it, hold it, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh, you just loved it and wish you could keep eating it and never find the bottom of the jar. Uh, we'll put that up on the blog, mi.ca slash Kelly Co. And your third topic, Miss Jan Arden, Hi. and she's going to be at the Arts and Culture Center in St. John's on the, the 25th and 26th. Yes, yes. So that's, um, yes, Jan Arden, 7 p.m. Art and Culture Center, and it's $95.50 for the tickets, and that includes tax, HHC, service charge. My suggestion would be any, any of us who have an attendance pad, you can go, you know, your attendant gets in for free. What my friends and I usually do is split the cost of the ticket. So she's she's very, you know, a great performer. She's very diverse. So I think that's going to be a lovely evening out. The Art and Culture Centre has, it's not perfect accessibility, but they have, as I mentioned before, they have built in a ramp on the side. So that gets you, you know, you go in through the ramp you, and then you come into the auditorium and there's a section there that they have put aside for anyone who uses wheelchairs or mobility devices. And as I said, call, get your tickets, tell them that you have an attendance pass, and then your attendant will get in for a free. I wonder if she um, has changed up her shows now that she has the TV show. I wonder if now she does a little more talking and incorporating some of that personality, or if she says, no, that's the TV thing. This is the concert thing. I know it's hard to know because she anything anytime I've seen her on television or in, anything, she's very talkative and she's very open and very genuine. And I can't, I would imagine she would bring that into her concert. There's always a story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. And, and it may be where one would say, well, how the heck do you think she got the TV show from performing like that and always being a consummate pull across the board performer, right? Exactly. And she's not afraid to tackle the tough stuff. I don't think. Nope. No, no, and she can get a little hostile even on Twitter and stuff. She'll see those. Oh, oh, okay. Those little like, uh, yeah, please don't let the kids see that language. Uh, Kim, as usual, fantastic. A lot of great stuff. And uh, as Frosty says, happy birthday to that festival. 41 years is tremendous. Pretty cool. Thank you. Happy Valentine's. Love you guys.
Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Kim Thistle joins us from St. John's, Newfoundland, telling us what's going on out there in Labrador. One of our community reporters, we speak to Kim once a month right here on the program. Always love hearing from our community reporters and finding out what's going on on their beat. If you want to check out what Kim reported to us, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. It's always nice to hear how um, people and communities around Canada are celebrating winter. I was going to say summer, but winter oh, because... Yeah. Yeah, it's important, right? We don't really want to let winter pass and and close our eyes through it and think like, oh, can't wait till <laughs> spring. It is a very beautiful and festive season, even after Christmas. We're Taking lucky a, to have it. Yes, we are. Taking a break and coming up after, we have partially sighted athlete, track and field athlete, David Johnson joining us. We're talking about his latest documentary series that he created. We'll be back with that. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Check out The Pulse on AMI-audio. You can also, of course, check it out on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube as a video podcast. But here's what's happening this week, this Thursday, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. Joita Gupta, the host of the show, is speaking with Paralympic swimmer Danielle Campo-McLeod. And she's talking to her about her new memoir, uh, Resurrections, My Will to Survive. So that's on The Pulse 1.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, also available on podcast and on YouTube as a video podcast. Fantastic shows for you to check out and always great interviews, context of disability, and my personal favorite, talking about books, um, as this one is about memoirs. I'm Ramia Amadin, and joining me to co-host the show is Kelly McDonald. So is books really now one of those things since you've been... Um hosting your, your book show on AMI-audio mm -hmm. via podcast as well. And we've had the segment here on the program. Um, would you say that, I won't say you've discovered and got a new love for books. I think you've always had that, if I if I have that right. Yeah. But has it really been amped up? And do you feel, because you've been pushed into, well, let's read this, let's check this out. Uh, has anything changed in your fandom? I think joining book clubs, because that would I say, I would say is just as relatively new as hosting AMI audiobook review. And so joining book clubs have been what prompted me to be connected to books in a different way. You know, talking books all the time with people, getting recommendations, getting insightful commentary, and just like joint discussions rather than just me reading a book, putting it away and you know, journaling about it. Forgetting about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, even that, that's, that's a lot right. more than I've always done, even though I belong to book clubs. Folks, David Johnson is a partially sighted track and field athlete who competed this year at the Commonwealth Games and filmed a three-part docu-series documenting his authentic journey. He's put the series up on YouTube and joins us now to chat about the, his production and what it's all about and give us a little bit of a, a, a experience with it before we go and watch it. David, welcome to uh, Kelly and Rummy. Appreciate you taking some time for us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about the passion for running and you know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so growing up, I always loved playing sports. I played hockey, baseball, basketball. I pretty much played every sport. 
And I was diagnosed with RP, retinitis pigmentosa, at eight years old. And it made it hard for me to play these sports as my eyesight was getting worse. Yes. And then I found track and field, a sport you can do with essentially no eyesight. And I started competing at first just for fun and slowly started getting better and better. And now most recently competing at the Commonwealth Games this uh, this past summer. Awesome. What a rush. Oh my God. Yeah. Can you tell us what sports um when you talk track and field, what are are your are your majors? I mainly run the four hundred meter, uh, but at the Commonwealth and in this docuseries running blind, I ran the hundred meter because for the Commonwealth awesome. games for visually impaired athletes, they only had the hundred. So it was a oh. it was a little bit of a change up for me. because uh, it's a little shorter. I I can't really get my speed up as quick, but it was still uh, amazing once in a lifetime experience. Awesome, Dave. Can you explain? Because I'm sure there's still a, a pretty big portion of us out there who are saying, "What are you talking about? Running blind or being able to do track and field without vision?" So can you just explain quickly? Because I know there's a lot of detail that we could get into, but just like the broad strokes of running as a person with low vision. Yeah, so there are three visual categories in track and field. There's the T11, T12, and T13. And 11, you have the least amount of sight, and you have to wear an eye shade. And all these athletes have to run with with a guide. They hold a tether about 20. It's really small. I think if you stretch it out, it's about 25 centimeters. So you don't have a lot of room for error. And then wow. in the T12... Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then for the T12 athletes, they have a little more eyesight and they have the option to run with a guide. And I saw the photos you you were flashing up as me with my old guide there. And, and we hold that, that same tether really small and you have to be super precise because if you get a tug or anything, it can kind of mess up the whole rhythm of, mm. of the race. And then the, the T13 athletes, they have the most amount of eyesight in the visually impaired classes and they can't they can't run with a guide yeah and so are you currently running with the guide your most recent race oh my tripod just fell there uh no i am uh, not uh <laughs> not running with a guide right now at in the uh, commonwealth games i didn't run with a guide and okay. now i'm just just on my own okay all okay. right cool David. Well, thanks for explaining We're... that but let's talk more about the commonwealth games um how was it like competing over there Oh, it was, it was amazing. Uh, I and went where was to it, by the, the way? The, it was in Birmingham, uh, England. Okay. So it was nice. It was great. I went to the the opening ceremonies, which was a, a it was a once in a lifetime experience to just be in the on the track and have everyone in the crowd, thirty thousand people, just screaming. The race was was amazing. Just the whole. The whole environment too it was it was great and i think another great thing about the commonwealth games is that the athletes are both able body and para athletes it's the only integrated games which is it's it's great what a model and that's the way we wish and hope that as things move along it will change and, and i'm sure that's a whole different topic we could get into i i really want to talk about the docuseries right now and that where did that idea come from yeah, well, it really just came from me and my friend, uh, Nathan. He he helped me film the the whole series. And we really just had this idea of I'm 
competing at, at a high level. And this is something that a lot of people that don't get to experience. So, yeah. and I'm, I'm always coming back telling all these stories of races and things. And we just thought it would be cool to, to film and, and document it and give an authentic look at para sport at, at a high level. Yeah, of course. And people, I'm sure, have tons of questions about your experiences. How did you involve other people with disabilities, if at all, uh, in the process of creating the docuseries? Yeah, well, the the cool thing about the docuseries is that all the editing was done by myself with a visual impairment. And the music in the docuseries, pretty much all of it, is done by people with vision loss. I mm. reached uh, to a bunch of different artists all across Canada, across the world to showcase their music. And I just thought that would be a cool way to to kind of show the, the talent that we have as people with vision loss. And it, it turned out great. The music was was amazing. Wow. I, I'm wondering a couple of things here. And again, knowing we only have a certain amount of time, I've got to decide where I want to go here, but let's see if I can incorporate some things. Now, you, you are talking about the uh, definitely underwhelming representation of blind and sighted uh, filmmakers out there, and of course, athletes thrown into that as well, and how you're going to really put a dent into the, the bad statistics that are there by producing something in this form. I also want to know about whatever you might want to say in additional to that, but the story and the way you told it as uh, a low vision individual creating for an audience, did you choose to do anything different? We're always first to think, all right, how much description is there? Is it embedded? Did you have to put some in? T tell us where you're, what direction you took as that creator. Yeah, well, that's what I, I wanted this project, everyone to be able to experience and, and get something out of it. People with with no vision, people with little vision and people uh, that just maybe don't even like sport or, or love sport. And mm. I wanted everyone to be interested. So that yeah. was, that was a little bit challenging. Um, the, mm -hmm. the project itself doesn't have a video description. I, I thought about doing it, but uh, I watched it myself and I had some of my other friends with, with lower vision than, than myself watch it. And they found that they could get, pretty much everything out of it. It, it is a documentary kind of right. vibe. Yep. So it has me narrating it and you yep. kind of can get the full picture. I feel like with, with your eyes closed or, or eyes open. Mm -hmm. Organically mm. documentaries are helpful that way I find. And I remember even as a child, I always gravitated to that because there was so, I didn't know it at the time, natural description. What mm. um, for the people, cause you mentioned this, what, part of the documentary do you think people who aren't interested in sports can relate to? I think they can relate to the, the genuine story and, and passion of the, the docu-series. It, it mostly follows myself, but it also follows a couple of my teammates, Zach and Tom, who also have a disability. Tom is is missing a hand and Zach has cerebral palsy. And I feel like to just look at our genuine, genuine connection as, as teammates, as athletes, as friends, that it's a story that, that everyone can kind of relate to. Nice. 
That is awesome. Dave, talk about your choices, making choices to include them or how much of, uh, you know, as you're looking at it and getting support from others, how did you decide to for, in, on the finished product that it turned out to be? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I told my teammates and and uh, other people that I was going to do this project about a year ago, and they uh, they were a little hesitant at first. But uh, once they kind of saw the the passion and, and and stuff I put in, they got they got more on board. And I'm hoping to make another project starting in in the next couple weeks, documenting our team's journey to the 2024 Paralympics in Paris. The same awesome. kind of style, nice. and uh, I think it'll be it'll be great. So I'm sure. curious, why did you choose this time, you know, to create this docuseries? Because you've been running for a while, right? And you've taken part in other sports, you've said. So, um, you know, what was it? Was it a logistical thing or were there other intentions behind why you picked now and the Commonwealth Games specifically when you were running the race that isn't your typical um, race to film this? Yeah, I think for, for me, it was it seemed like the right time uh, because of just the media coverage I had around myself. I have a pretty big social media following that was, that was gaining. And I think I could have um, capitalized from the, the followers on right. that for the docu-series, as well as the Commonwealth Games being both able body and, and para-athletes. I knew the media coverage would be, would be greater than, say the para pan am games or, or something like that mm -hmm, so it right. seems like yep. a, a, a good time to jump on it so your knowledge of creating film and stuff like that how has it grown by creating this docuseries it, it's really been trial and error for me i've, I've just kind of figured it out along the way <laughs> nice uh, I'm, good for you i'm by no means uh -huh. yeah, i'm by no means a, a great uh professional editor here but I kind of learned the learned the basics, and I and I think most importantly for me, I enjoyed doing it. I liked doing it, and I just had fun throughout the whole journey, learning and editing and filming and kind of organizing everything. And Fantastic. it was it was just great. Oh, love to hear that. That's amazing. Where can we watch it? You can watch the docu series called Running Blind on YouTube. It's uh, on my YouTube channel at Blind Hipster Dave. Is all my social media, so you can check it out there. We've got a That's lot of tremendous. social content for people too Ooh. at Blind Hipster yeah. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations, Dave, and thanks for making time to join us on the program. Good luck with everything, and looking forward to it. And uh, uh, not just the uh, athletic endeavors, but the filmmaking too. Thank mm. you, sir. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That, uh, of course, was David Johnson joining us, chatting about his new series, documenting his athletic uh, journey. Tremendous journey, tremendous offerings. It sounds like it's really something, and uh, I think all of us can take something away, learn a lot, have a lot of fun watching it, and uh, fedora's off to him and all the artists and everybody that took part. Yeah, and he was joining us. I'm not sure if we said this, but he was joining us from Victoria, B.C., um, and the, like, support for para-athletics over there is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's very it incredible. Is. Awesome. Okay, coming up next, we have our book club and talking the book of the month with us this time around is Jacob Shymansky. We're discussing Misery by Stephen King. We'll be back with that. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. 
Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. and Remia on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. If you're joining us live, that's awesome. You can also check out the repeat at 10 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Then again at 1 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. And if you're up at 6 a.m. Eastern, you can check us out on AMI-audio. I'm Remia Amadin, and joining me to co-host is Kelly McDonald in London, Ontario. I'm in Toronto, and it's time for the Kelly and Remia Book Club. This is our chance and yours to really get into the books, authors, and narrators we love or don't love, don't enjoy. We get to kind of everything we want to. And today's book for discussion is Misery by Stephen King, uh, one of the authors I personally love. And joining us is the recommender of the novel, Jacob Shymansky. Jacob, it's your first time on the show, right? Yeah, that's right. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, nice to have you. Thanks for the recommendation. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. So we're going to go around the table um, in a second to talk about narrators. But first, why don't you tell us why you picked this book to recommend? I think I chose Stephen King more than I chose Misery, the book. Because mm -hmm. Stephen King, I mean, uh, Misery was the first book that I read from him. And um, King is kind of a polarizing figure. He's obviously super popular. Yes. But he's uh, a lot of people... See, he's kind of like lowbrow, kind of like a lounge fiction, you know, not exactly <laughs> literary stuff. And you don't need to believe that. I personally don't think that's true. Like, I'm not above lowbrow fiction. Let's be real. But I do think he makes for interesting conversation because people have strong opinions on him. So I'm curious what you guys have to say about him. Yes. And if you um, have strong opinions on him, then you'll really have strong opinions on this book as well. Yeah. Apparently, this is a very Stephen King book. I think so. I mean, I haven't read nearly as much Stephen King as others have, but uh, I would say this is a good one, a good example of Stephen King. So there mm. are several narrations of the book. Um, specifically, I'm talking about Sila, which most of us may have read through Sila, Center for Equitable Library Access. And I wanted to ask uh, both of you who you read. I read Lindsay Krauss's version, narration of the book, and she did an exemplary job, I say, specifically with Annie, uh, but even just anytime there was a, a scene that needed drama, she brought the drama. Uh, how about you, Kels? Uh, David Palmer, which is, I think, the original when I first read this book, I mean, years and years ago. Um, I'm pretty sure same read. Okay. And Jay? I listened to Arthur Blake on Sila. Um I was told to never complain about things that are free, so I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I didn't realize Lindsay Krauss was on Seal as well, because I yes. bought that one from Audible for my second read, and she uh. was fantastic. I have to say, like, when she plays Annie specifically, like, she really goes all in. Like, at some point, she's properly screaming. It's yes, terrifying. absolutely she is. Real projection. Um, but, yeah, no, she is available on Sila as well. All three of these narrators are available on Sila. So next time, um, we'll do a comparison. But let's talk about what this book hit really hard. Obviously, for me, it was description. Um, I, I describe this as a feeler because there was so much potency around the senses, okay? So often... When Stephen was writing about, let's say, a thumbectomy, as an example, he was focusing on the senses and how to deliver this in an emotional, uh, 
driving way. Every detail I felt was a sense of either touch, smell, sound, sight, taste at times as well, like the CPR scene right at the beginning. So I'm gonna go around the table and ask you, Kelly, what description stood out to you in the book? Was there a standout? No, um, not really, because I think I've read enough stuff where I get some pretty heavy-duty descriptions, and mm. usually if I hear a heavy-duty description, you know, sometimes I'll, oh, I mean, when I say that, I'm not going to suggest for a moment none of them grossed me out, getting a foot taken off and the way that she cut and the discussion of the mattress and everything and the soaking of blood uh, and then the doctoring after it, to, to, to the cauterizing. <laughs> okay, but I think... When it comes to the all the things you're talking about, senses, I'm so used to, I've read a lot of Stephen King stuff, and mm -hmm. there are certain patterns I've picked up reading enough as to I know what's coming when something happens or when he even coming into a town. I know what sounds, what sights, what kinds of things he's going to touch on and examples and similarities when he he makes them from reading quite a bit of Stephen King stuff. I, I like it, um, but one of the things off the top that we talked about, and I, I don't want to divert us, but it's interesting because when I was a teenager and before that, you know, like my siblings and so on, Stephen King was huge in our era. And I think now you will get more, and I'm not saying there wasn't debate about him then and his writing style or any of the things he did, but he was so gigantic that I think now that we step back a bit, people are able to make those comments or say, oh, laundry, you know, whatever their crit the critics are able to yeah. say now, it's, it's very different. Interesting. Um, how about for you, Jay, any particular descriptions that either they like stood out to you at the time of reading or still stick in your mind? Oh yeah, some of them definitely stuck with me. I know exactly what you mean with the the sights and sounds and descriptions. It really creeped me out. A lot of them made me wince, I'm not gonna lie. Yep, uh, the first one that the comes rats. to mind is Oh god, the rats. The, the first it's one that comes to mind them. is the squeak of the uh, axe on the bone. Ugh. Yes. Please no. And also when he's oh yeah. Spoiler alert, he gets his ankle cut off. His yeah. Life, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this book is pretty gnarly. It's not going to lie. Um, there's also when he gets his stump cauterized, he equates the smell to smell. one time he mm. went to Hawaii and they had a luau and roasted a pig over yeah, a fire. Wow. And he said it's, it reminded him of that. And I'm like, that's the what went through your mind. The sweet smell of that. You know what the <laughs> wild part of that scene was for me? I didn't even know where he was going. Like, he took so long to get to that scent of the roasting pig. He described an entire memory before saying, that's what this reminded me of. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That's right, I was like, that sounds pretty tasty. I want to try that. <laughs> oh, it's his Yeah, <laughs> I know. Ew. I thought it would be, and that's what threw me with that description. I expected, oh, my gosh, the smell's going to be, right. oh, sweet. It reminded me of, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Every time Annie's body was described, right, there's words he used pretty consistently, like the idol, the goddess, uh, etc. But every time he put some descriptive word in there, I was like, I was filling out more picture of Annie, you know, her solidity, or is that a word? Yeah. Um, just everything about her, her body, her face, her breath, her voice, whatever, um, and then described with Lindsay, you know, as the narration, it was just filling out more and more of a picture throughout the book. Mm -hmm. The the part that, that makes me think of is how you described her as being like dense, like yes. she didn't have any inner organs and she was just like solid flesh with no blood. I forgot how they described, well, how he described her initially, but I that was right off the start of the book and mm -hmm. I was like, what the, 
Yep. What a weird description. <laughs> and all of it, Shy, I felt gave him or gave her strength. Every bit of description, even if it was kind of like, oh, sour breath or whatever, mm. until you read her her crimes as they found in her notebook of things she had done and drew the conclusions of how many people she had killed or been a part of, you you, you felt that he not only was injured, couldn't fend for himself, but even if he could, she'd be a formidable match physically. Of mm -hmm. course. Just very physically strong. She's yes. quite a big woman, yeah. too. Very independent. Like, she did all the chores on her farm. Like, it was clearly a lot of work. And it just shows that like, she's physically capable of doing things. Which only matches her uh, powerful characteristic of keeping him hostage and as a prisoner in her house. So, Jay, tell us about this. Because you offline mentioned that this book speaks to the power of fandom or obsession with entertainment, books, um, TV shows, whatever it may be, we can kind of go overboard. So describe this for us a bit more. Right. I, people take stories so seriously. Like, if people get mad at one thing on the internet, it's, like, TV shows that don't end well. Like, people got so mad at the end of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. They got so mad at the end of Lost. You can name a thousand of these scenarios. I think... Um, Stephen King, more than anyone, is aware of how much people care about stories. And even in this book, he talks about how when Sherlock Holmes, the character, got killed off, people in England lost their minds and started like letter writing campaigns. Even the mother of the writer joined in as well. Like people take it really seriously. And I think this phenomenon of people losing their minds over stories is. Annie is just that phenomenon taken to the extreme. Yeah. But that's just that's my right. interpretation. The true fan, the deep fan that gets mad. They had this issue with the soap operas, right? Because you had so many loyal, dedicated fans. You made yeah. the mistake of killing off the right person or wrong person. Mm -hmm. You have letters coming in. And this is from, this is decades and decades of this stuff going on. Long before social media, people found ways of getting at them. And Stephen King at this point is, is kind of jeering at that, but reminding us how passionate each one of us are about something. And he actually took some time to describe that in the book, right? Like through yeah, the sure. writing of Misery, the novels in yep. Misery. Okay, we'll get to that. If you haven't read the book, that might sound confusing to you. But also, um, he described, you know, as Paul the writer saying, yeah, you know, this fan who had a, a big issue with and then started kind of showing her... Um, upset over it as well through letters to him and and just described very right. specific scenarios and that's why i think you're right about it you know stephen inserting himself a bit in this book yeah he's there's no doubt that it's a self-insert and, yeah. and i was reading how stephen king was asked this very question and he said like yeah absolutely i'm a self-insert in this yeah. but in a way every character that a writer creates is a part of them like every character is a self character, self insert in a way. Yeah, it's um, well, interesting the, if you're going to think of Annie as a part of Stephen, but we'll get to that. You write a bit about what you know, right? <laughs> so there's always something in there, and I think you're giving away some of the little writer tips that, yeah. that you know people might say. Really, all writers think that, and he's not saying yay or nay. This is a fictitious book. You decide. But probably something he really did struggle with. Okay, I yeah. want to ask about pop culture references. There are so many, so many pop culture references sprinkled throughout um, Misery. And 
some of them were offhanded, you know, some of them I had to say, oh, wait, I know that. And then other ones I'm like, you know, this could easily be a pop culture reference. I have no idea. But I don't necessarily pause and look up everything. It's just more if something is a flicker of recognition, then cool. I'll uh, use that to kind of continue analyzing the book. Kelly, do you pause and look at, look up? I have, I have, if I, like you said, Rum, if you even know it is. There's things that go by. Uh, most things that I, I hear that I know, Paul Harvey, he mentions Paul Harvey, uh, the old radio uh, host that that used to be syndicated across North America and gosh knows how much of the world. And he did this every day and you'd hear Paul Har Harvey tell a story and he'd say, later, I'll tell you the rest of the story. And just the offhanded reference and so many like that. And a lot of them are, are the throwaway thing. You may mm. not catch that, but there are so many different things as these writers Writers appeal to so many different people, but also I always think it's a status thing too with a writer who says, I don't really care if you get this or not. It doesn't matter. It's a cool reference. I'm throwing in. That's a writer of status as far as I'm concerned, because so many people worry, well, what if people don't get that? They'll say that I'm some writer with obscure thoughts. Right. And the obscure thoughts was interesting um, uh, phrase because I felt I was getting to know Paul deeper because of all the references that he was aware of and using throughout the book uh, as the narrator, right? So and the time, Rum. It's yeah, at of course. the time of when this book was written. There wasn't a, I need to place it elsewhere. It was a, it was almost written as if it was a book. People were going to run out, mm -hmm. buy all the people who would be interested, read it within a year, and it would stay for them. Wow, pertinent In to that, that time with all those references. And of course, it lives on. Yeah, you recognize any of the references or any big ones? Barely, barely any. The only <laughs> one I remember recognizing was uh, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." I won't point oh you start solving that. Uh, but honestly, so many of them just flew by. I think some of them I didn't realize were even pop culture references. I thought they were just yeah. like things he invented. But there's a reason why people put pop culture references in things, and it's not for fan service or anything like mm. that. It just makes mm -hmm. the world feel more lively, right? Right. You think about pop culture all the time. Yeah, and, and that's and, interesting. And we make when references and similarities to things all the time. Well, sure. And, I mean, this one I don't necessarily think of as a, a fantasy or a made-up world. So, really, just adding that color into the real world. And he's done this in, as you said, Kelly, in various eras, you know, books from the 30s, or he written it as in the 30s, um, adding references of that time as well. So... Can we talk a little bit about style for a second? I love that Stephen King in this book n barely used the he said, she said, right? T telling us which character, which dialogue. The narrator, right. my narrator, did an amazing job <laughs> at that, <laughs> and performing that as well. So I was never left in the dark. But um, do you lean toward or against this kind of thing? Because I feel that if somebody doesn't present and perform it well, it could be complicated, okay? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a really good point. I think this has a lot to do with the reader because if you don't um, properly act out voices or distinguish that it's a paragraph break, mm -hmm. then you don't know if this is dialogue or if it's uh, inner monologue. So it, it, yep. it really comes down to the reader. Whereas if you're reading that print, you know exactly what the text is representing. Yep. And I was always the other way because I was never a really strong, necessarily reader of Braille or whatever. I'd have trouble with that. I loved my, my reader. David did a fantastic job being able to make sure that when he delivered that line, I knew this is in, in Paul's head. This right. is a thought. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, I find that it adds a lot of urgency to certain scenes, especially, you know, he's in pain and she's harking on about something like, how many times did you get out of your room? And in those instances, 
it's amazing not to have the he said, she said uh, take up time, right? So Yeah, it's it's just like using less words to like say more. Yeah. It's, that's right. Being economic yeah. with your words, right? And, and I do find that um, Paul Sheldon's inner monologue is fascinating because oh, it's good. chaotic. Mm. He just thinks yep. about the wildest things. Like it's when a writer. He, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Paul Sheldon himself is a very creative person, mm -hmm. so it's only natural that he would have wild thoughts going through his head. But when he was, when he left his room the first time to go and get the painkillers from the downstairs bathroom, uh, he was picturing that sportscaster in his head, like yes, shoutcasting his entire experience. That's <laughs> yep. Howard Cosell of the time. And I have to wonder how much of Paul was actually Stephen King. I mean, you know, not to break the fourth wall too much, but when Stephen talked about writing this book and other books in his career uh, and his own experiences with drug abuse, I feel like there could be parallels we draw. And this would all be... Um, interpretation because it's not anything he said directly but he did talk about when he was writing certain books and when he was using certain drugs and that sticks in my mind especially when i read some of the internal uh, thoughts as you said with paul and some of the characteristics behind annie guys that's it that's all we have time for thank you so much jay that went by so fast thank you so much for having me i warned you guys uh, jacob shymansky is a technical producer here at ami uh, specifically for ami audio he joins us with his recommendation and discussion around misery by stephen king next month we're discussing i'm glad my mom died by jeanette mccurvey uh this is recommended by nisreen abdel majin after the break i'll tell you more about that and we'll find out more about now with dave brown tomorrow We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Two hours really flies by when you're trying to squeeze in so much fun conversation. I told you at the end of the last segment that we have a book for February. It's kind of been a bucket list thing to get this girl recommending books. So we're talking about <laughs> I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. This was released in 2022. It is very much still trending. And it's recommended to us by Nisreen Abdel-Majid, another audio technical producer on AMI Audio. You guys see a trend over here? So this is available on uh, Sila as a Human Narration. It is also available on Audible for purchase. It's a memoir by iCarly and Sam and Cat star Jeanette McCurdy about her struggles as a former child actress, including things that she experienced like eating disorders, addiction, and a complicated relationship with her overbearing mother and how she retook control over her life. Jeanette was six years old when she had her first acting audition, and her mother's dream for, was for her only daughter to become a star. And Jeanette did everything that she possibly could to make her mother happy on this front. In I'm Glad My Mom Died, Jeanette recounts her experiences in unflinching detail, they say, just as she chronicles what happens when the dream finally comes true for her, and Jeanette is riddled with anxiety, shame, self-loathing, which manifests into, as I said, eating disorders, addiction, and a series of unhealthy relationships. So the only the issues only get worse when she gets famous in the uh, iCarly spinoff, Sam and Cat, and after that, of course, her mother dies with cancer. 
She's uh, telling the story with refreshing candidness and humor. I'm glad my mom died. And it's um, something for us to look into, to read by the end of February, because we are discussing it on Tuesday, February 28th, the last Tuesday of the month with Nisreen. You can give us your comments as well, by the way. Everyone is welcome to discuss in these book clubs. 1-866-509-4545. Call us and leave us your voicemail. You can also email us at kellyandrumia at ami.ca. Okay, that was a mouthful. Now let's move on to somebody else talking. <laughs> Paul Daniel is here to give us a preview of tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV. Paul, what's the Wednesday show looking like? What can I say after all that there, Ron? I mean, that's, I, I can't <laughs> top that. Please, can just take over. Away. I need to breathe. <laughs> But the book, by the way, is superb. I've read that book myself. Oh, recently. wow. Okay. It is, it's, a, it's a superb book. It's okay. time well spent, if I may offer that. On tomorrow's show, Fareed Khan from the organization Canadians United Against Hate will offer his thoughts on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's appointment of Amira Agawabi as Canada's first special representative combating Islamophobia. 2023 is only a month old, and that's usually when some people's commitment to their resolutions begin to falter. Mm. Our columnist, Clover Thursday, will join us and let us know how, to, how we can stay motivated. And no matter the news, the constant underlying rumble and refrain that so many re reports include is with a possible recession looming. I do that in quotation marks. Uh, columnist Kevin Shaw talks about how the media is reporting on the latest economic news. How should we take it and how they're doing it? Oh, that is a great conversation. All of those conversations sound great. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care. It's true that by February, maybe we're not paying attention to as many uh, New Year's resolutions, but I thought it was like halfway through Jen that most of it is gone <laughs> out the window. Yeah, it may be, but I think by the time people admit it, it, it might be February. That's true. Yeah, Jen's a hard one. You know, January is a long month. It feels, uh, we've talked about this before, it feels way long because of all the festivities of December. So I can understand why yes. you don't want to admit another down, downer thing. Well, and that's a long month because people don't necessarily have the money. And come February, at least you can say, well, I gave it a month's try, True. even if you quit on the 3rd of January. <laughs> that's right. Don't call me out like that, Kelly. Um, <laughs> I know. It's fine. On national TV. Sorry. On national TV. On Wednesday's show, because we're moving on now, thanks a lot, uh, 2 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time, we have another two-hour edition of The Daily Show, of course. And we have Don Barden joining us. We're talking about women in leadership with him. He's doing some research and some study on this concept and we want to find out what he's found out isn't the daily show another program altogether i don't know you might be stealing names sorry uh, folks <laughs> certified financial planner ryan chin drops by to tell us about the pros and cons of using credit cards i'm looking forward rummy to that conversation uh, we, we always have our things that don't build up that don't run it up on your credit card we'll see what he has to say tomorrow about it Yes, always a great conversations when we're talking money with Ryan Chin. And, uh, you know, credit cards, another one. Another January conversation. Oh, but it's going to be February by the time he comes on. All right, Kels, we'll catch you back tomorrow, too. You betcha. Thank you so much for spending your precious time with us here on Kelly and Ramia. And we hope you will be back as well at 2 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday afternoon. Have a good one. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. 
Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.